my intentions are being misread all the time because my actions just like aren't aren't lining up with what I'm intending to do. But then what people say is that my intentions are bad and that isn't true. What's up team? Welcome to the ADHD Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm an ADHD professional who's been working in the field for 10 years. I'm on the organizing committee for the International Conference on ADHD and a board member of the Men's ADHD Support Group. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to let you know that registration is open for the 2023 International Conference on ADHD. The leaders in ADHD support for both individuals and families will be in Baltimore from November 30th through December 2nd. It's an unparalleled experience for our community. I highly recommend attending. I'll be there, and so will this week's guest. He's on my ADHD influencer panel at this year's conference. And there will also be a virtual conference for those who can't make it to Baltimore. It runs December 5th and 6th. The content is different, but it's just as powerful. At the virtual conference, I'll be doing a workshop on managing ADHD as a member of the sandwich generation called Self-Care for the Caretaker. The link for more information on both conferences is in the show notes. I highly recommend you check them out. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we talk to Jesse Anderson. Jesse is an ADHD influencer who goes by the handle ADHD Jesse. And he's the author of Extra Focus, The Quick Start Guide to Adult ADHD. Jesse talks to us about his new book, Extra Focus, and shares some tips from it. We discuss the modern view of ADHD, Jesse's four C's of motivation, and juggling chainsaws. All right, let's get rolling. I'm uh, Jesse. I've been kind of writing about ADHD for the last uh, couple of years. Um, I have a newsletter where I write about it, and then I eventually kind of decided that I would write a book. So I wrote a book called Extra Focus, The Quick Start Guide to ADHD, and uh, it just came out. And I have been really excited for it because it's really the book that I wish that I had gotten back when I first kind of uh, started to realize that I might have ADHD. I'm just going to take a few minutes and put the book over. The book is called Extra Focus, The Quick Start Guide to Adult ADHD, as Jesse said. This book might be replacing the ADHD survival guide for kids for me. I've been at recommending that book for years and years and years to anybody who wants a primer on ADHD because it's it's written for like middle school kids, which means it's pretty accessible, but it's sophisticated enough that it's useful for adults to read too. This one is as accessible as that book in terms of language, in terms of the the way you've chunked information and the way you've organized information. It might even be better organized than the other book, but it's newer and it has more modern stuff, right? Things that we just weren't talking about back when that book came out. And you don't have to read it cover to cover. Like the other book, you kind of have to read it and go through page by page by page. Not a big book. It's not going to take that long. Yours is also not a monster. I think I read it in like three hours, maybe. Might not even have been three hours because I have ADHD and time is weird. As I was reading it, I was going, oh, this is just a manual. I don't need to read this cover to cover. I can just crack open the motivation chapter or the time chapter 
and read that if that's where I need some support. Or I can just kind of grab it and flip it open to a random page and see what's there and have fun, right? There's whole sections where it's like strategy, da-da-da, strategy, da-da-da, and they're one page each. It's great. And I, you can see all the sticky notes I have in this book. The audience can't because we're an audio <laughs> medium. But it's it's phenomenal. So those of you who are out there thinking either I'm new to ADHD and I need to know as much as I can possibly know as quick as possible, extra focus is the way to go. It's going to get you that information pretty quick. If you don't like reading, if reading is a chore for you, this book will not be a chore for you to read. And I say that as a former English teacher who worked with kids who had reading challenges. So like if you have dyslexia, it's going to be whatever your dyslexia level of challenge is, but you're not going to feel like you're trying to read War and Peace. You're going to feel like you're reading a note from a friend or like happy emails and stuff. Like it's, it, your voice is phenomenal. It's really welcoming. It's really comfortable. And the strategies are not, you're not using like big words and formal language to make these things seem super academic and impressive. You're just like, yeah, do this. This is how that goes. It's like you're hanging out with a buddy who's like, oh yeah, I've had that problem. Try this out. Like that's kind of the tone. And that makes it accessible, which is important because there's a lot of folks with ADHD, even those of us who don't have dyslexia, where reading is not the most engaging thing for us for lots of reasons. I've been struggling to read of late because as my audience knows, my family went through some anxiety stuff and it got really difficult to keep my focus on one thing because I was always jumping from tragedy to tragedy and fire to fire. And I, like I said, I read this book in one sitting. So that's, that's how accessible it is. I haven't read a book in one sitting in a long time. Can't say enough good stuff about it. And even, even, um, Nate Cadillac, who's the illustrator on this book, like even the pictures make it just a little more inviting, you know, like you're, you're kind of reading and you're like, okay, text, 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 like you do with any book. And then like, oh, cool. Here's a little picture of like cars and traffic and people being cranky about it. That makes me feel a little more comfortable and happy with this book. Do to do. And you've got the stuff that I love that my audience will recognize is I really love bolded text. I really love headings and subheadings. I like bullet points. I like that kind of stuff. And that the book does that too, not exclusively, but it's in there enough to keep me engaged and keep chunking the information out design wise this book is great mm -hmm. and organization wise this book is great and also in terms of voice in terms of readability it's phenomenal so now that i've just spent an excessive <laughs> amount of time throwing some shine your way let's talk about the book itself what brought you to want to write a book or even what brought you to adhd work what kind of brought you into our community yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for uh, all, all that you just said about the book. It's awesome to hear that like a lot of things I really cared about are things that you're bringing up. Like I very, very intentionally wrote it with like short chapters, short paragraphs. Hopefully every page feels a little bit interesting enough to kind of keep you going through. And same with like the il illustrations, which there's, you know, one every like four pages, like on average. So there's like a lot of that to kind of keep you going through. Yeah. And it was also very much written from the uh, like I was a big fan um, or still am a big fan of the book uh, Driven to Distraction by uh, Hallowell and Rady, which was the first first thing I read when I did find out that I had ADHD. I grabbed that book 
And it is, you know, it's out of date. It was written decades ago, I think, like in the 80s or 90s or something. Yep, 90s. Yeah, but it's but it has a lot of uh, a lot of it really connected with me just in like, you know, feeling seen. And so I kind of wanted to like I want people reading the book and just feeling like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. Oh, he gets it. He's experienced the same thing that I have. And that was really a lot of the goal. You've helped me figure out how to say what I was trying to say earlier. The difference between this book and some of those older books, right? The ADHD Survival Guide, Driven to Distraction, Mm -hmm. is those books, intentionally or not, are written with a little bit or a lot of a lens that says, you're broken. Mm. And that's not this book. This book is like is saying, hey, stuff is harder for you, but that it but you don't get the vibe that you're broken. And some of that is you have ADHD. And so you get it right. Like you're writing this T-shirt coming soon, guys. It's already out, but I'm getting a better one. You're writing this with the vibe of ADHD life on hard mode. That's the vibe of the book because that's reality. And for real, I I already have one T-shirt like that. I'm getting another one. that's a little (laughs) more hard rock made for the conference. Nice. But I I think that that acceptance and inside looking out perspective is a big piece of what makes this book accessible in the way that it is. One of the things that like my own bias almost lost me early on in the book. I'm not going to say you almost lost me. I'm going to say my own (laughs) bias almost lost me. And then you destroyed that immediately on the next page and hooked me in because you talk about the DSM and you're like, this mm. these are the criteria of inattentive type, hyperactive type, and combined. And I'm just like, I've read this so many times, and I'm so done. Like part of my problem being an ADHD expert is like I read the beginning of an ADHD book and I'm like, I know all this, right? It's just <laughs> right, a struggle yeah. I have to deal with, and I'm sure you do too. But then the very next page, you're like, yeah, and the DSM is like limited and not doing it right, and you don't, you're not. <laughs> You're not a jerk about it. Your voice does not come across as derogatory, but like I knew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. And, yeah. Like, and it's I, great. Because <laughs> I, I do think like, I think it's super helpful for, especially early on, which I think a lot of people early on in their journey, the first time I saw that DSM list, it was really informative for me just to look at it and be like, oh, all of the, I have all of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like kind of eye-opening. But yeah, it's definitely important to also say like, hey, this is limited. There's a whole lot of, like a lot of the stuff I talk about in the rest of the, the book having to do with like, you know, memory and time and like emotion, um, that kind of rejection sensitivity. Like none of that is in the DSM list at all. So it's a very, it's a very limited scope. But I do think it's kind of helpful, especially for that first person, uh, that the person kind of seeing it for the first time. The first time you see that list, it's like this aha of like, oh, like maybe this is a real thing. Maybe maybe I'm not just a screw up, but there's actually like this like criterion that kind of like explains at least one aspect of what my life has been like living this way. It, but it's important to know that this this ain't it. This ain't it. Yeah. Page 16, <laughs> bolded subheading, what the DSM 5TR doesn't cover. Right. So page 16, right? Like that's early on in this book. It's not the yeah. longest book in the world. You've got, I'm going to, 159 pages. And that's yeah. final notes is 159. Not not a crazy long page, but you're only a 10th of the way in. And you're like, we're breaking with your expectations right away. Because here's the stuff that the DSM doesn't cover. We're off to the races from there. Is there anything 
in this book that you're like, this is the thing? As you were writing it, was there anything that you were like, if people get nothing else out of this book, I want them to get this? Or if that you were like, this, I'm hitting something out of the park right now, whether or not it's the only thing you want people to get out of it. Was there anything that made you like, as you were writing it, kind of sit up and go, this is dope? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I will say like you you were kind of talking about how like the stuff I'm trying to get through in the beginning, because there there's like there's a certain amount of stuff I want to cover to kind of set the groundwork, because like I want like if someone's reading this book for the very first time and they don't know anything, maybe they saw like a few memes or, you know, something from Danny Donovan. They're like, oh, that sounds like me. I better look into this more. And then this book is the next thing they see. That was a lot of the difficulty that I had with writing the book and like editing the book was there's so much I want to pack in there because there's so much stuff. And so I really had to like, there's a couple chapters I wrote that I thought were good chapters and informative, but I had to rip them out because I really wanted people to get to the motivation chapter. Um, Because one of the things that really clicked for me when I was first learning about ADHD was hearing Dr. William Dodson talk about what he calls the interest-based nervous system. And I don't know if it's like, it's not like an official term or anything, but the way he explained it really kind of clicked for me. And then I, I sort of, I kept forgetting how he described it. So I came up with my own label, which I call the four C's of motivation. And just to kind of quickly go through it, the basic idea behind this is that most people like neurotypical people are motivated primarily by the importance rewards and consequences. And so because of that, when you when you look at like productivity advice, and you're looking at books showing you how to get things done, a lot of them you'll see are based on those three pieces important, like how, how can I let myself know what is most important to work on? Or how can I give myself like rewards to do this thing or consequences? And but the problem for me anyway, is like those three things importance, rewards and consequences a lot of the time they aren't very motivating for me, those, those things, the importance, rewards, consequences. So I would do all these strategies to let myself know what is important, but that wouldn't give me this like innate way of motivating myself to do it. So again, these are based on what Dr. William Dodson said, but I have the four C's, which is captivate, create, compete, and complete. And what these are, are these are four other things that kind of motivate us. And I think the most obvious one is is captivate, which is about things that are interesting. And like before I was diagnosed, um, I remember my my wife mentioned her friend's husband had gotten diagnosed with ADHD. And so my wife was talking to me about it and saying, hey, do you think you maybe have this because some of the symptoms or whatever she described sound like you? And I, <laughs> I told her, I was like, there's no way that I have ADHD because I have no problem focusing on things that interest me. Uh, which is hilarious <laughs> if you know about ADHD. Parents say that about their kids all the time. Right, yeah. <laughs> I had this like totally other picture of what I thought ADHD was. And I was like, oh, I can focus on this thing for hours and hours and hours. And I do. Um, so that's the first of the four C's. So, so interest, that things that captivate my attention are motivating. It's I have no, very rarely have any difficulty doing something that I'm interested in. Uh, the second one is create, and that's all about like creativity and novelty. So things that are new and fresh and brand new ideas, like those really motivate me. So like brainstorming things, I love doing that. And I find it really easy to engage in those things that are creative and novel. Uh, the third one is compete. And that's all about like uh, competition and challenges. 
And so something like in school, if I would have a teacher that might say at the beginning of the year, they'd be like, hey, we're going to work on this. But just, so you know, here's sort of an interesting problem that no one has been able to solve in the last three years or something like that. And so my brain is like, oh, that is a fun challenge. I'm not going to do any homework. I'm just going to focus on that problem because <laughs> that is what's like motivating. It's like exciting my brain. So that's a big one for me. And then the the fourth one is complete, which is kind of about like com uh, completion, like deadlines. And it's all about that urgency. And again, using a school example, like that's when like a teacher would give me a paper assignment and I have this, I have three months to work on this giant paper. And if you have ADHD, you probably know the end of the story. I didn't do anything until the night before. And then the night before urgency shows up. It's like, oh, I, I have to complete it by tomorrow. And then I'm going to fly into action, stay up super late, working on this, working on this thing so that I can get it submitted just barely in time or maybe even a little bit late. But that urgency is kind of the last of the of the four. So captivate, create, compete, complete. And so that to me, that was probably one of the things I was most excited about to talk about in the book, because I know Dr. William Dodson talked about it, but I hadn't heard about it too much elsewhere. So that was sort of something I really wanted more people to find out about this thing because I use the, like knowing those four, like really helps me come up with new strategies. Like when I'm tackling a problem and I'm having difficulty, it's like, it's not, a, it's not perfect. It's not like a hundred percent or anything, but it's a really good framework to sort of use. Like how can I use captivate or create or compete or complete in this situation to help motivate myself? For those of you reading along at home, that's pages 33 to 37. If I can ADHD expert a little bit with you, if I can fellow ADHD expert in your direction. Absolutely. <laughs> I got a fifth C for you if you're open to it. Let's hear it. What do you got? Connect. Mm. It's kind of a different vibe than the stuff you're talking about because you're very, that's a lot of productivity stuff, right? Yes. I think we underestimate the nature of connection and productivity. Some of it is the stuff we talk about all the time, like body doubling. That's in the book. You bring up that up as a strategy. That's really connecting. That's really, I need another person. We think of it usually as accountability, but it's still connection. And a lot of us with ADHD work better with other people. Like we work better on a team or in a group or even just not in isolation. So that might be a thing worth kind of poking around in your head, see if that lands anywhere. Um, but it stood out to me as I was reading. So, and that's a lot of what I do is about connection. So that's part of why it stood out for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. One of the things in this book that resonated with me was you talk about ADHD and burnout. Mm. And as a guy who's coming off of the most severe burnout that I've ever had in my life, um, it's, it, it stood out for me. And I, I especially like the juggling chainsaws. <laughs> analogy. Can you play with that a little bit? I have a problem where I say yes to anything that sounds like exciting or positive, like sounds fun without considering like, do I have the time for this? Do I have the energy for this? I get excited about all these new opportunities. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Oh yeah, we could totally connect. You know, there's that connect again, like, oh, we can connect and do this. I'm all for it. Like let's hang out and do this, this project together. And so I'm always like jumping on board with these things. And for me anyway, and this will be different for different people, but for me anyway, I feel like part of that is motivating myself because like, I feel like each one of those new projects I take on is like a new chainsaw that I'm juggling. And I feel like it's like this constant act 
of like trying to keep the show exciting a little bit or something. And so I'm like juggling chainsaws to keep things going. Because if I have, if I'm working on one project and even if I'm interested in it and I'm doing it, I can't only work on that one project or I'm just going to like stall out. So I have to add something else. And this is something that my, my wife, who's not ADHD, this like boggles her mind where Sam working on a video project over here. And then I'll start doing, oh, um, I'm also going to, uh, I don't know, I'm going to create a website for this new business idea. And she's like, well, what about the video thing? Like, well, I was starting to slow down on the video. And I so I knew I had to add another chainsaw to keep things exciting. But the problem is I'm adding so many chainsaws that I end up with like 20 projects and they're all happening at the same time. And I know in the back of my head, because it's happened before, if if this goes on too long and it's there's too many chainsaws, that burnout is going to hit. And when the burnout hits, it's not like I lose one chainsaw, like they all come crashing down at once and everything just sort of dies. And so I feel like so much of my life is just like this constant balancing act of like, do I need less chainsaws? Do I need more chainsaws? Am I at the limit right now? Is that burnout right? Or it's it's almost like most of my life is sort of like seeing burnout down the tracks and just trying to keep it far enough away that I don't hit it because it's always kind of like right around the corner for me. One of the lenses I've been taking on burnout lately, holy moly, I've been deeply burned out. Same thing, right? Juggling chainsaws, not not how I would describe it. Those are that's your description. I don't want to make it seem like I'm trying <laughs> to steal it. But you're I'm juggling chainsaws just like you, right? Podcast summits, interviews on other people's podcasts and YouTube channels and stuff, clients, parent groups, wall of awful stuff, being a dad, practicing Kempo, studying Kempo, making sure I'm a good husband running a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Like I'm doing all these things to try to keep myself tuned in, right? Doing workshops. The workshops were like, especially a thing that like was a chainsaw because doing a workshop completely hooks me. I get a ton of dopamine out of it. Mm. I am one of my best selves when I'm on a stage in front of 50 to 200 people. One of the best versions of me is that guy on stage. But invariably it's a far away and it's happening at night and I'm driving home and I'm going to bed an hour later than I usually do at least. And I'm not falling asleep because I'm all hopped up on dopamine and excitement. And so I'm falling asleep two to three hours later than usual. And that means I'm getting two to three hours less sleep. So now for the rest of the week, at least I'm toast. But I needed to juggle that chainsaw because they pay me to juggle that chainsaw. And it also lights me up. And then COVID hits. Mm. And that hit my family kind of hard, not two bananas, but kind of hard. Podcast listeners know this. And like I end up homeschooling the boys in sixth grade, which means I'm working really, really hard and a whole lot of hours. And I don't feel like I'm juggling chainsaws anymore. I feel like I'm just grinding through this mm. stuff, right? And I'm putting down what I can put down, but there's a lot, I had a lot of chainsaws and now they're all responsibilities that I need to maintain, right? Right, totally. And so now it's a grind. It's not fun anymore, but it's a grind. And luckily my values and my people pleasing keeps me going, right? And then my kid's OCD spikes and gets really bad. And that, hence the podcast falling apart, right? Something had to go. And it was a really big thing that went. And it wasn't just the podcast. I dropped down to two clients at one point. Um, my kid's OCD spikes, as listeners know, he ended up hospitalized. Listen to episode 250. I don't need to go into the story too much. Um, and also my dad had health issues at the time. Cancer, heart disease, kidney disease, two kinds of cancer. 
uh, CPOD, COPD, I forget how those letters go together. And then that eventually led to some excessive drinking, which further made things difficult. I never know when something is going to come up and disrupt my schedule, right? And I'm going to be needed to do something with dad or something with my kid or something. So I can't have a schedule anymore because I don't know. Couldn't bring on new clients, couldn't do much. And also I'm burnt out by now. Like at that point, <laughs> this like this time last year, even a little bit later than that, this time six months ago, I was totally fried. I'm only getting out of the burnout like in the past couple of weeks, to be honest. And so my ADHD folks who are like juggling chainsaws is great. Yeah, but guard against it. Like don't pick up that extra chainsaw because as a person who's been down the road a little longer than you are, than you have, some of those chainsaws are responsibilities. They're not just fun. They're like, you have to do it. Like I have to take care of my dad if he needs it. I have to take care of my kids. And it turned out the podcast, as much as it feels like a responsibility, was not a big enough responsibility to maintain it, right? And some of that was my wife made enough money that my business could throttle back while I address some other stuff. I, I bring this up because there's burnout, like lowercase burnout of the ADHD <laughs> stuff. And then there's like burnout where right. you're toasted. And what I think I've realized about my burnout, my level of it, and the model that I'm using is... I think I experienced so much anxiety for so long that anxiety didn't matter anymore. And juggling chainsaws is what we ADHD folks do. Like part of how I put that is anxiety is the only thing you can burn for fuel and wind up with more of it when you're done. Hmm. Kind of the same idea as the chainsaws, right? That's what you're doing. Right. You're like yeah. keeping things anxiety and interesting enough, right? Interesting enough to have the anxiety. The chainsaw part is the anxiety. You're not saying juggling <laughs> apples, right? Like it's chainsaws. <laughs> right. Uh huh. And I just was cruising on such a high level of anxiety that eventually it was like not enough to motivate me anymore. Mm. It was there. It was enough to shut me down and, and kind of burn me out, but it wasn't enough anymore to get me going. And I had to figure out how to go without the anxiety so that I could remember what anxiety felt like as a motivator. And I'm only getting there again now. Does that, am I making sense or do I sound like a crazy person? No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like I, yeah, I mean, I especially like the, the metaphor of anxiety being fueled that just creates kind of more anxiety because that's totally it. It's like, yeah, I'm using this to like using this anxiety as motivation, but it ain't gonna like, it's not pretty at the end of it. Like there's a cost to doing things this way and that's that's definitely why i i feel like being being aware of it helps me like that's the chainsaw metaphor kind of helps me put that into perspective a little bit because before before i really thought of it that way it was very much just like well this motivates me and this is so i'm going to keep doing these things because like this is this is exciting without thinking of like there's danger involved here like <laughs> you know like warning when these crash down it's not going to be pretty and it's going to be like a disaster and yeah and then kind of like what you said you don't get to pick what the priorities are when everything kind of collapses um and so like there's certain things that are going to have to take kind of the uh the hierarchy of needs in a way mm -hmm. like you you fell down the ladder and now it's like well like taking care of family is like takes precedence over all the things no matter what their importance you know were to me like now we're at that lower level where it's like i i get it that my podcast is doing really well for me but i just can't because of whatever yeah. these other things are that have to take uh precedence and i only you know if you use like 
the spoons analogy or whatever, like suddenly I only got two spoons. And so I can't put them out in all the ways that I were doing it before. Cause you don't know how you're going to have to prioritize stuff. That was stuff that I couldn't control and juggling chainsaws. You're in control of the chainsaws. The thing that's going to mess you up is when someone else has a chainsaw and they walk into the room, right? <laughs> right. And you don't control that one. Like, and now you only have one arm and you're bleeding from your stump, you know? Like, how do I keep juggling these chainsaws? I got to keep these other ones going because I don't want to lose my other arm from my chainsaw. And right. like I said, right, my wife making enough money meant that I could prioritize my kids and my dad. If that wasn't true, I might've had to prioritize enough money to keep a house over our heads and or roof over our heads and food on the table. And that might mean my kid's mental health has to suffer or my dad's physical health has to suffer, or right. I have to lean more heavily on my sisters who are already doing enough to help my dad. It varies. And then my situation is just one example of, of why we ADHD folks need to, you know, if you feel like you can juggle ch seven chainsaws, juggle six and make that enough, like figure out <laughs> how to make it so that six is enough. So you have space for the stuff that you don't anticipate because there's always something we don't anticipate, both for executive functioning reasons and for that's just how life works. On the other side of that, kind of flipping flipping that on its head and heading in a different direction, page 126, for those of you reading along at home, I really like the idea of success amnesia. Can you play with that a little bit? It's the idea of forgetting the things you've done well. And I think everyone's sort of, you know, there's there's a there's a bias for everybody where like we, our brain focuses on the things that didn't go well. A whole lot to unpack there. And so I'm not going to get into that, but that most brains do that. But I think in particular for people with ADHD, it's really hard for me to remember when when I do things well or when things people say positive things about me. It's just like all the successes I have, they just fade away really quickly. Like a lot of time I'll be like having a conversation with my wife about something and she'll be like, you know, she'll say something like, oh, well, you did. Remember you did this thing last year? I'm like, I, I completely forgot about that. That well, I guess that was kind of an impressive thing that I was able to, you know, whatever the deal was or like this book. Like part of me feels like if I had written this book like 10 years ago before I knew this, like I would have forgotten about it like six months later and forgotten that I had achieved this like monumental task that was really hard to do. Yeah, the when th people say positive things about me, like it feels good in the moment, and then it's like it's gone. It just like leaves my brain, and I forget that I have any <laughs> any worth or value. And I think a part of that, I'm I'm not a psychiatrist or anything like that, so I don't have any sort of like medical backing for this. But I feel like a big part of that is growing up. I took so much blame for everything because I had this thing called ADHD, and no one knew about it, and so it was like I had all the all the results of like struggling with with uh you know this different brain and there was nowhere to put the blame for those issues that cropped up in school and whatever and so like my parents and my, my parents did the best they could with the information they had but like my parents didn't know like what do we blame for this and the teachers like where is the problem here and it all just fell on my shoulders because there was nowhere else to kind of point it and so because of that you know super common for people with adhd we put on all this, this shame and this self-blame. And so we're carrying all this weight. And so I think that in addition to having difficulties with memory, it's just like this, like idea of putting value on myself feels really difficult because I'm so used to the opposite. I'm so used to putting the weight of these negative things in my life as like labeling them as my fault, even though 
that never quite felt right. Like I never felt, I was like, this doesn't feel like it. it's my fault. Like, I don't know what's going on. And it's within me, whatever this thing is, like my intentions are being misread all the time because my actions just like aren't, aren't lining up with what I'm intending to do. But then what people say is that my intentions are bad and that isn't true. And so I think that for me, that's a lot, lot where this kind of success amnesia and like forgetting about things that I've done well in the past. Um, and then that can be problematic going forward because I don't remember that I've done things well. And so it makes things more um, intimidating and more difficult going forward because I don't get to carry on like these successes as like uh, that, you know, that extra weight to be like, oh, I did this thing in the past and I did that thing. So I can take on this other thing like those don't kind of exist which can make it uh, really difficult kind of going forward from that as well. And potentially, I don't know what I'm good at because I'm not remembering yeah. where I've mm -hmm. succeeded, right? I think there's a cultural component to this too. An element of this, as you're describing it, kind of sends me in a direction where one of the things I make a practice of is owning my amazing because I own my awful all the time. Like you're just yeah. like you just said, right? The stuff I'm bad at, I know I'm bad at it because it's been beaten into me since I was in elementary school, middle school. Like I just, I know what I suck at so much so that like I fix some of that stuff and still think I'm bad at it. The other component to this is basic Taoism, right? If we're going to own what we suck at, we should own what we're great at too. But mm -hmm. when we do that, there's cultural pushback by the people around us who are like, you can't just go and say that you're an amazing public speaker. Like who does that? You're not allowed other people can say you're good at that, but you can't say you're good at that. And I'm like, yo, I'm an entrepreneur. Like I need people to know that my presentations are dope and that I'm top tier when it comes to doing a workshop in terms of engagement and content. Like I just need people to know that. And I'm not allowed, like you're not allowed to necessarily say, this is the stuff that I'm phenomenal at, unless you're in the right company people who know that you're not trying to threaten or they know you well enough to know that you're also going to be like, and this is what this person is amazing at. And this is what that person's amazing at. Like if you share the wealth, it works. But if you're just talking about you, you're not allowed. And that also can lead to the success amnesia, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I'm definitely kind of experiencing that sort of thing right now with like the book, with talking about the book. Because it's super, I mean, part of it is it's just really uncomfortable because I haven't really talked positively about myself mm -hmm. a lot. And so I'm like in this weird place of like, like, hey, I think the book is great. I worked really hard on the book. I, you know, I hired like editor to really help me like craft it into something that I think is, I think it's a really good book. I'm super proud of it. And I'm really excited for uh, people to get it. But I'm also terrified to talk about it because kind of a lot of what you're saying like I don't want to say that I think it's a really good book because is that like painting me as this got like I, I don't know there's like so much kind of like packed in that and then yeah and then there's the I'll, I'll read like a whole bunch of positive things people say and then I see one person that says something like oh, I didn't really like how you talked about this and I'm like oh my gosh the book is worthless what have I done <laughs> and it's like all of the like positive stuff I've, I've seen just like fades away and all I can see is like this one you know, it could be something from like a positive review too. And then they just like mentioned one little thing. And then now it's like, all I'm thinking about is like, oh, I totally screwed up how I talked about this thing. And no one's going to like, like my book now. And what, what a, what a waste. And it's so easy to like slide into that negative space. And then like, when that happens, that's like that instant kind of success amnesia where it's just like all the other stuff's gone. Right. 
I forget it and I'll never think about it again. Now all I've got is this negative association that's just like permanently like that'll never fade. That's like permanently in my brain. It's like, you know, something embarrassing happened back in the junior high. And it's like, well, I'll never, ever forget that. I'll have dreams about that. It just continues to come back. But those positive things are so quick to fade. Because you're putting yourself out there when you write a book. That's what you're doing. I think you can totally be like, yeah, of course it's good. That's my job. My job is to serve my audience as effectively as I can. And this is great because that's how much I value my audience. That's why my show is good. My show is good. Because I value my audience and I'm trying to put out the best content I can that's going to give them the most ideas and be the most accessible. It's long form. And some people are now so into TikTok that they want to listen to a podcast for 45 minutes to an hour. But the only way to get to the meat of stuff is to talk about it for a while. That's part of why I'm not a fan of TikTok. It's too surface. It's There's like not enough time to go to the depth that we often need to. Yeah, I feel feel like as far as like like ADHD TikTok, it's... I think it can be great for like little relatable snippets, but it's it's I, I feel like it's pretty difficult to get into the nuance because right. yeah, TikTok, it's so quick. So I feel like it's a great, you know, not meant as a pejorative, but it's kind of like a great uh, gateway drug for people to find out like, oh, maybe I'm connecting with this ADHD thing. Now I should go somewhere else and kind of get more information, you know, buy my book, listen to the, your podcast, like do something that's going to be able to go more in depth than like, you know, than a minute long video. But I do, I do think there is valuable, particularly for the ADHD community, because we're a lot of us are drawn to the dopamine of TikTok. So it's like kind of a great gateway, but it's not like if all you're getting, if all you're learning about ADHD is through TikTok, that might not be the best place to do that. If it was vetted better, I'd like it more, but there's too many people who do surface stuff where there's a lot of nuance and they're doing disservices, especially to kids because they're saying parents this. And I'm like, yeah, kind of, but there's so much, it's so much more complicated (laughs) than what you're saying. And this is going to lead to kids not being treated right. But that said, just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I'm proud of the book. I think it is a really great starting point. You can get it at extrafocusbook.com. And uh, if you like, if you pick up the book, I also have like a bunch of like free bonuses. There's if you go extrafocusbook.com has like an email address, you can just mail your receipt to and you get like, you know, a discussion guide. So that if you want to do like a book club or something like that, or just they're also like self-reflection questions that can help that way as, as well. And there's also like a strategies cheat sheet and a few other, I think there's four PDFs that you uh, get through doing that. I think it's a really great intro for ADHD and even for like, I don't know how many people listen to this that don't have ADHD, maybe like parents, hopefully like the goal is that it's really helpful for people to just understand the mindset of people with ADHD, like what is kind of going through their head, because that, I mean, that's one of the biggest things um, I, so I have, I have three kids. Two of them are diagnosed and the third one is, is he, he has it. <laughs> He's not officially diagnosed, but it's pretty clear. But my wife is neurotypical. And so a lot of the conversations we have are like, our kid will act in a certain way. And I'm like, I'm no expert, but they have ADHD and I have ADHD. And I recognize that as something I would do too. And so there's a bit of like a translator that I can do for my wife, because for her, like, so that ADHD logic, like it don't make no sense. It's like, why in the world would you do this? But for me, it's like, oh, I get that. One example is just like the idea of if you tell me like I have to do something, that's now on the, the bottom of it. I'm never going to do that thing. Even if it was something I wanted to do and I was like about to do it. And then you told me I had to do it. 
like that the oppositional part of my brain is like no way and that's not purely adhd but it's very common with the adhd and it's just like little things like that that um i feel like the book does a really good job of kind of translating this is what it feels like like this is why some of the actions we do feel weird to people with adhd because this is kind of what's going on in our brain uh so yeah extrafocusbook.com is uh the best place to uh, pick that up hey you're still here nice Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.